0: Hello, everyone, and a good Sunday morning to all of you who are listening today. This is the uh, Family Bible, our message for Sunday, January the 17th. You know we are almost at the beginning of the new year still. And so firstly, on behalf of myself and my family, let me just wish all of you a blessed and a happy new year. I trust in the Lord's will. It will be better than the past year that we've had. We're also at the beginning of the study of a new book, the uh, two Pauline epistles to the Thessalonian church. Last week, Brother Phil gave us a good introduction to the epistles. He had mentioned in his outline six uh, Ps, the letter P, six Ps that these two epistles cover. Firstly, the preciousness of the church, of the Thessalonian church, and we'll be seeing some of that today in the chapter we're going to look at. Secondly, prayer for the church. Thirdly, personal actions by Paul and his companions. That's uh, Silas and Timothy. Fourthly, the person and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifthly, practical living instructions that are in the in the epistles. And uh, sixth, prophecy, especially in relation to the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus of Jesus Christ. So. Uh, the six Ps, uh, i give you a good overview on this. You know, even though uh, Paul and his co-workers stayed only for a short while in Thessalonica, it might've been as little as three weeks, maybe as much as six weeks, but probably not much more than that. And Paul's time was cut short in Thessalonica. He had still left behind the thriving church. He left uh, Timothy and Silas to remain in help. But even after, later on, after they got together with him, uh, Paul sent Timothy back to encourage the Christians and assure them of his love and concern for this particular church and the preciousness of the church, as we'll see in the coming weeks. You know, before we just move forward in the chapter one that we're going to be studying, just a couple simple lessons to think about. Firstly, God used people, God used people to establish, encourage, and exhort his church. And he continues to do that even today. He still continues to use people, that's you and I, to do the same. The question is, are you willing to be used of him? The second uh, perhaps simple lesson is that even with all the decay and morality and the evil that we see proliferating in today's society and culture, the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is still the power of the God unto salvation, as Romans 1:16 tells us. Hallelujah. It was effective in Thessalonica, and it is equally effective in today's so-called post-Christian or even post-truth culture. And speaking of today, we'll be looking at the first chapter first Thessalonians. So to begin with, I would like, uh, by reading the first uh, four verses of this chapter, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, that's Silas and Timothy, I'm reading from the New King James, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all. Men, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our Father, our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Before we uh, look into chapter one, let's just uh, commit this time to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for this uh, chance to be studying a new book together. Thank you for the epistles to the Thessalonian Church that are such an encouragement to us even today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that gave inspiration to these words. And as we study it, we pray for that same spirit to guide and direct our thoughts this morning. And just uh, pray for your blessing on this time. Pray for open hearts to receive your word and then apply it to each of our lives. We just commit this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First of all Thessalonians chapter 1. I've titled this, uh, What Every Church Should Be, and I'm using the outline that was uh, sent out earlier on by Phil, and the outline comes from Warren Biersby's uh, commentary. You know, other titles could be uh, a model church, how the Thessalonian church was born and grew, or you can come up with your own titles. There are four characteristics of this particular church that endured them the apostle Paul and made them a joy to Paul's heart. What are those four? And they were an elect people, an exemplary people, an enthusiastic people, and an expectant people. Again, let me repeat that. They were an elect people, an exemplary people, an enthusiastic people, and an expectant people. Firstly, an elect people. You know, the word church in the Greek is the word ecclesia, which literally means a called out people. A called out people. Who are they called by? Well, God Himself. And that calling out is, or being chosen, is the doctrine of divine election. In Acts chapter 15, at the Jerusalem Council, James talks twice about the Gentiles who are called out by God. In John 17, in the high priestly prayer that Jesus have the conversation between God the Son and God the Father, seven times the Lord refers to believers as those whom the Father has given him out of this world, called out, given him out of this world. And here in verse 4, Paul, Paul refers to the Thessalonian believers as being chosen or part of divine election. Now, can I fully understand or explain election? No, I don't think any human being can. Do I believe it? Absolutely, yes. Why? Because the Bible teaches it in many places, and this is one of those places where the doctrine of election is mentioned. You know, as a seminary professor once said, you can try to explain divine election and you may lose your mind, but try to explain it away or ignore it and you may lose your soul. Did God see something special in us and that's why he chose us? Absolutely not. It's all because of his grace. It's all because of his grace and his mercy toward us. So there's absolutely no reason for us to boast about our salvation. It's all of grace. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, doesn't it? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of your, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Called all because of his grace. Now some obvious facts about election and our salvation. Firstly, Salvation begins with God. Salvation begins with God. John 15, verse 16 says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Ephesians 1, verse 4 says that he, that's the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Amazing, isn't that? That God chose you and I before Genesis 1:1, before the foundation of the world, that we were chosen in Christ. Jonah realized that salvation is of the Lord in his prayer from inside the belly of the great fish in Jonah 2, verse 9. He confesses, quoting a psalm, salvation is of the Lord. The entire plan of salvation was born in the heart of God before Genesis 1, 1. That's before God created the heavens and the earth. Secondly, salvation involves God's love. Salvation involves God's love. Paul, in verse 4 of this chapter, calls these people belo- uh, uh, the Thessalonian believers, beloved brethren, it's not only loved by God, and not only loved by Paul, but also loved by God. You see, God loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what Romans 5, 8 tells us. God demonstrates his love to us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's not uh, some kind of an abstract love. It's not like the John Lennon song all you need is love all you need is love love is all you need no it is love that was in action love that came down we recently celebrated that coming down at christmas Stuart Briscoe says it's love with boots on and he says that's the definition of grace love with boots on love in action that's perhaps what the songwriter had in mind when he wrote, uh, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. or oh, the grace that brought it down to man. or oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. 1 John 3, verse 16 tells us, This is how we even know what love is. Jesus Christ, they've done his life for us. 1 John three sixteen. Thirdly salvation involves faith. Salvation involves faith. Paul, Silas and Timothy brought the gospel to Thessalonica. They preached in the power of God and some responded in faith, turning from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 9 of this chapter tells us that the Spirit of God used and even today uses the Word of God to generate faith. Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Do you remember the day when the Spirit of God spoke to your heart and brought you to faith? I do. I was around 9 or 10 years old when my mom had, had been to church many times, but my mom explained the gospel very clearly to me, and I realized my need, that I was a sinner and my need for a Savior, and I committed my life to Christ. Maybe you came to know the Lord through the ministry of a parent or a speaker at church, our gospel tract, or some camp ministry, perhaps some campus ministry, but do you remember the day when the Spirit of God brought you to faith? Thessalonian believers turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Fourthly, salvation involves the Trinity. Salvation involves the Trinity. It's not just the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came down and paid the price for our sin, but all three persons of the Trinity are involved in our salvation. How so? Well, as far as God the Father is concerned, you could say that you and I were saved when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. As far as God the Son is concerned, you could say that you and I were saved when he died for us on the cross and paid the full price of our sin. When he cried, it is finished, the price was fully paid. As far as God the Holy Spirit is concerned, you could say that you were saved that moment in time when the word of God and the Holy Spirit worked on your heart and you turned from your sin to salvation to come to faith. So what was planned in eternity past, chosen in frame before the foundation of the world, was paid for in history past, when Christ paid the penalty of our sin on the cross, came to fulfillment in present day, during our lives when the Holy Spirit brought us to faith in Christ. And you know, when I came to faith in Christ, I didn't know a thing about divine election. I was only just overjoyed that my sins were completely forgiven. And most likely, you felt the same. You've heard that uh, uh, story, or just the illustration of outside the gates of heaven, on the front of the gate is all, enter all you will. And that's how we came to faith. But then as you go in and look back, the back of the sign says, saved, chosen before the foundation of the world. Salvation involves the Trinity. Fifthly, salvation results in a changed life. Salvation changes lives. How did Paul know that these Thessalonians were part of God's elect? Because their lives were changed. If you combine verse three and verses nine and 10, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And Paul could now see their work of faith labor of love and patience of hope I remember those three uh, couple of those three uh, phrases very well uh, because that was the first message I was I mean, first thing I was asked to share about it was a small group in uh, Bombay India and I think I must have been just first year of undergrad college and uh, the brother whose house it was in asked me to share and uh, I did not have any uh, concordance or references or there was no internet at the time and I'm not sure I don't remember what I shared but I remember I shared from this these three things work of faith labor of love and patience of hope and I trust it was a blessing to whoever was listening at the time you see those whom God chooses he changes those whom God chooses he changes if you claim to be a believer and are saved, and there has been absolutely no change in your life from your previous status as an unbeliever, I would ask you to seriously question your salvation. Whom God chooses, he changes. Now, faith, hope, and love are three cardinal virtues of the Christian life. Faith, saving faith, always, must always lead to works. James 2, verses 14 through 26 tell us that. We are not saved by faith and works. No, it's faith alone. But a saving faith always results in works and a changed life. Secondly, love. Love is also an evidence of salvation. Romans 5, verse 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A couple of years ago, uh, friends of the uh, Rosalind and Luke DeFore from Switzerland, the Graf's Marjorie and Phil Graf and their six kids came, were passing through Cincinnati and they stayed with us uh, for a, a couple nights because they were going to the Creation Museum and the Arca. Uh, after they left, Marjorie had sent uh, Joyce a book uh, called Kisses from Katie, Kisses from Katie. I would strongly recommend you reading that book. It's about a young girl from high school who uh, went on a short-term mission trip to Uganda fell in love with the people there. And uh, today has a thriving ministry that uh, she took care of kids who were abandoned one by one. And ultimately, there were like 13 or 14 children that she was taking care of in her home. And these were children who were initially when they came in really sickly with all kinds of parasites, all kinds of difficult medical issues. And she just had this overwhelming love of Jesus in her heart. And that resulted in a changed life and resulted in her staying on the mission field later on to get married and uh, continue on in the ministry. That's the result of the love that God sheds abroad in our hearts. Thirdly, hope. Verse 10 of chapter 1, waiting for Jesus to return. This uh, is uh, the return of the Lord Jesus, both the rapture and the second coming are the dominant themes of these two epistles. You know, in uh, as small kids uh, at Christmas they may eagerly wait for Santa to come to bring the gifts they have asked for and as the time draws closer to Christmas day, the anticipation and excitement mount. Do we have that kind of an excited anticipation for the Lord's return? Let me ask that again. Do we have that kind of an excitement and anticipation for the Lord's return? I hope we do. Salvation is of the Lord. So uh, it begins with God, involves God's love, involves faith, involves the Trinity, and results in a changed life. Work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Let's move on. Read the next uh, three verses, verses 5 through 7. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So firstly, an elect people. Secondly, an exemplary people. Paul looked at the uh, Thessalonian believers with much joy and gratitude because they were examples in many areas of their lives. Why did Paul think so? Well, firstly, they received the word, verse 5. The gospel came to them through the ministry of Paul and his companions, and they received the word eagerly. You know, today, even in many places in our country, especially in academia, people are hostile, hostile and downright against the word of God. And that's going to be only increasing. But the gospel is still the power of God into salvation in many, many parts of the world. And even here, uh, The fastest, one of the fastest growing churches is in the country of Iran. It's surprising, isn't it? Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. John 1 verse 12, for as many as received him, Them that believed in his name, he gave the power, uh, the rights to be called the children of God. They received the word. And these believers never lost their eagerness for the word. You will see that in chapter 2, verse 13. Secondly, they followed the Lord and their spiritual leaders, verse 6. They followed the Lord and their spiritual leaders. The word is actually, uh, the follower is actually imitators. Now, those of you who have young kids probably noticed that children copy the mannerisms of their parents. I'm not sure who it was. It might've been Evan who shared the story about uh, growing up, uh, whether it was himself or someone else, I don't remember. But uh, the doctors were concerned about the peculiar way and gait that uh, walk that they had. And and they were debating what all to do about it until they noticed that the father, uh, his father walked exactly the same way Do we walk the way our Heavenly Father does and wants us to? The Thessalonian believers imitated God and their spiritual leaders. Now, it is important that young believers follow the Lord, but vitally important that they do that. But it's also important that they respect spiritual leadership and learn from mature believers. It is also equally important for spiritual leadership and mature believers to watch out for, to pray for, and encourage younger believers. That has been hard to do this past year with uh, COVID and the loss of in-person fellowship. Hopefully that will end soon and we'll be able to be back in person together. Thirdly, the Thessalonian church, they suffered for Christ. Second part of verse 6, they suffered for Christ. You see, in turning from their old way of life and forsaking idols, they likely angered their friends and relatives because, because of that. Some might've even lost their jobs or their livelihoods. That happens even today, doesn't it? When uh, brother Arul from InterVarsity was here some time ago, he talked about and he shared about Hindu and Muslim uh, students who come to faith on campus. And uh, they're often cut off from their families because of that. And that many of them are torn between respect for their parents and being cut off or ostracized for their faith. And uh, Earl was sharing about this monthly uh, conference call that they have to encourage these uh, uh, ones who have come to faith because uh, it's an encouragement for them to know that there are others like them who are going through the same difficulty. Genuine faith, genuine faith will always be tested. John 16, 33 says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. But then God, Jesus goes on to say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, Peter says, don't consider it strange considering the fiery trial you're going through. As Christians, we should expect to be persecuted. And as the time for the Lord's return draws, that will continue to increase and intensify. Fourthly, they encouraged other churches and believers. They encouraged other churches and believers. Now, Christians can either encourage or discourage each other. I trust you and I would identify with the former that being encouragers. And I'm so thankful that Northern Hills Bible Chapel was full of encouragers, whether it's uh, phone calls, emails, visits, prayers. Uh, I, I'm so thankful this past year for the encouragement and prayers that we received on behalf of Kristen uh, from so many of you. And I thank the Lord for that. In uh, Second Corinthians, uh, Chapter 8, Paul used the Macedonian churches as a stimulus and encouragement for the Corinthian church to spur their giving. Verse 7, here the the Thessalonian church became an example for believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia. I mean, God help us to continue to keep us moving forward as being encouragers of other believers and other churches. So an exemplary people. Thirdly, let's read verse 8. So from you, the word of God, word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Amazing, isn't it? An enthusiastic people, an enthusiastic people. I chuckled to see uh, Brother Kevin Bryan's Christmas newsletter email where he said he would let us in on a secret that. NHBC had the best and perhaps the most enthusiastic singing of any assembly he has been to. Now remember, that was before Zoom. Uh, one of the things you really can't do well on Zoom is sing. Now the their work of faith, as the Thessalonian church and labor of love, resulted in them sounding out the gospel to others. That literally means to sound out like a trumpet. For those familiar with radios, you need both a receiver and a transmitter. Don't you? for the uh, radio to have its purpose. The Thessalonian church received the word and transmitted the word. You see that in verses 5 and 8. I remember Brother Mickey Dunn sharing one time that he had told his brother as he was leaving after visiting with him, he told his brother, keep the faith. And uh, his brother told him, Mickey, don't just keep the faith, pass it on. Don't just keep the faith, pass it on. You know, while it's wonderful to be able to study the word and meditate on it, and I do think we do that well at Northern Hills, it is also the privilege and the responsibility of each believer and each local church to share the message of salvation to a lost world. It's both a privilege and a responsibility. You know, we are familiar with Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and the Great Commission. But at the end of each of the four Gospels, uh, you see that same command in Mark 16, verses 15 through 16, in Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, and in John 20, verse 21, and in the beginning of Acts, Acts 1 and verse 8, you shall be my witnesses to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you and I may not be called directly to go to the ends of the earth, but how about in our own circle of friends and maybe family who do not know the Lord? We have the Clifton Area Outreach organized by Mike Gainier. We have King's Clubs. We have Whitewater Bible Camp and all the other summer camps. We have so many missionaries that the chapel is privileged to support, and all of that is wonderful. But what about our own personal witness? You see, election and evangelism always Go together. They need to go together. The person who says that God will save those who he wants to save and doesn't need my help does not understand either election or evangelism. Election always involves responsibility. God chose the nation of Israel, that they would be a blessing to the nations of the world, but they failed. Are we doing any better? Are we doing any better? I must confess that I often fail in this not speaking up at times when I have the opportunity to do so. I do it sometimes, but there's so many times that have been lost. I remember Mark Cahill and how he would just constantly be engaging people. Now, maybe all of us can't do that, but can we do it sometimes? Can we do it when the Lord provides the opportunity? Maybe there is someone in your family or circle of contact that needs the Lord and you have been praying for a family member, a cousin, a brother, a spouse. Keep on reaching out, praying, encouraging, and exhorting. Our job is to plant the seed. It's not to save them. Our job is to plant the seed. It's the only God through the Holy Spirit can save them. I distinctly remember, and those of you who remember Brother Israel Martin, uh, who went home to be with the Lord at age 106, I believe, sharing how he had prayed for his own brother for almost 60 years, 60 years. And in his 90s, his brother came to know the Lord. God can move hearts. The Holy Spirit can work even in those you think are uh, unsavable. There is no one that is beyond the reach of God's grace. I've shared this before and I I just mentioned it briefly in one of his books, Max Lucada talks about speaking at having to share at his father's funeral and uh, there was a, a neighbor who came to at the end of it and to speak to Max. This was a neighbor who was a really a crusty, foul-mouthed individual and perhaps the last person he thought could be saved. And he had a smile on his face and came to share with Max. And the story was, I believe Max's father passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease and the uh, decline the last years were very difficult. And and those of you who don't have any knowledge of Lou Gehrig's disease, it's a gradual wasting disease. The person is still fully cognizant, but unable to do things. And uh, really just, uh, it's, it's a terrible disease. And uh, this neighbor had watched his dad go through that with grace and dignity. And he said, I want what he has. And came to know the Lord. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. I trust we can be an enthusiastic people in sharing the word of God, like the Thessalonian church did. So elect, exemplary, enthusiastic, fourthly and finally, uh, and expectant people, and expectant people. Verses 9 and 10, let's read those. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols and to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know, when a woman is pregnant, we use the term she's expecting. Uh I sometimes maybe she's expecting a baby, but sometimes you just say she's expecting, meaning she's anticipating the birth of a baby. It's not whatever, but there is a sense of eager and joyful anticipation of an event to come as the time grows nearer. Now the Thessalonian believers, their work of faith made them an elect people, their labor of love made them an exemplary and enthusiastic people, and their patience of hope made them an expectant people waiting and looking for the Lord's return. What is our attitude to the, to the return of the Lord? Are we waiting expectantly? Now in these verses, Paul related the second coming of Christ to their salvation. Because they had trusted Christ, they looked for his return with joyful expectancy because they would be delivered from the wrath to come. You know, believers have a living hope of the Lord and his return. Titus 2.13 says this. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Some commentators suggest that Paul includes both comings in that one verse, looking for the blessed hope. That's the return, uh, the rapture, where the Lord Jesus returns in the air to gather his church and all those who have uh, died in Christ. And the um, glorious appearing is the second coming when he comes in glory <coughs> with uh, his church and comes and uh, steps foot on the earth. You see that in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, there is no specific event or things that need to happen before the rapture will occur. It can happen at any time. I do believe that the Lord will remove his church from this world before the tribulation. That verse says, delivered from the wrath to come. Now, I do recognize that there are many godly believers who have a different viewpoint. And some believe that there is no rapture or that the church will go through the tribulation. I do not believe that. I believe definitely there is a rapture. We'll see that in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we go through that. And uh, that the church is taken out before the tribulation. Now, being an expectant people does not mean that we tilt our heads towards the skies and ignore what's happening in the world around us. Someone has said, we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use. The word translated wait in verse 10 means to wait for someone with patience and confidence. Waiting involves patience and confidence. Waiting also involves activity and endurance, activity and endurance. We continue faithfully in the work that God has given each of us to do, even when the times are tough. We continue faithfully in the work that God has given us to do, even when the times are tough. This past year has been a time of great trial for our family, but especially a time of suffering and patient endurance for our daughter Kristen and her husband Cameron. As the Lord in his sovereign will and grace has taken through deep waters in the first year of their marriage, Joyce and I are so thankful for your continued prayers and encouragement through this time. I'm most thankful for Kristen's continued faith in the Lord and that uh, trusting that he knows what is best for her future and she's content to leave it in the Lord's hands. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Waiting involves activity. Waiting involves activity. Now, some of the Thessalonian believers convinced that the Lord was imminent, Lord's coming was imminent, had quit their jobs and become busybodies, idle busybodies. And Paul would speak strongly against that. Uh, Lord's parable of the miners or the pounds in Luke 19 teaches us we need to continue the Lord's business till he comes. Occupy till I come is what the Lord tells us. Now expecting the imminent return of the Lord Jesus, is a great motivation for soul-willing, a Christian stability, a wonderful comfort in sorrow, and a great encouragement for godly living. With all that is going on in our country and the unrest and the violence and the division, God is in control, and his plan hasn't changed. His timetable hasn't changed. He is coming for his church, and he wants us to continue living for him and drawing others to him. 1 John 3 tells us that everyone who has this hope, that what hope is that? That when we see him, we will be like him, purifies himself even as he is pure. A call to personal holiness also, confessing our sins and setting things right with the Lord continually. This is summary and application. He said the title was what every church should be. Well, we are the church, so this applies to every individual believer. What every church should be is what every Christian believer should be. Elect, that is born again, coming to faith in Christ. Exemplary, following the Lord and learning from spiritual leaders. Enthusiastic, sharing the gospel with others and expectant daily looking for the return of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you uh, know the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, so listen to this this morning. If you don't, the Bible is very clear in John 3.16 that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But a couple verses later says, if you do not believe in him, you are condemned already, condemned to an eternity of separation from God and an eternal torment. You might try to think that you can reach God by doing your own works and trying to reach him in your own strength. You cannot. The Bible is very clear on that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no way you can reach God's standard. The only way is through Christ. That's why in John uh, 14, the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, verse 6. Would you come to him this morning and trust him as your savior? And for those of us who know him, Are we, like the Thessalonian Church, born again, exemplary, enthusiastic, and expectant? I trust each of us in the assembly would be that as we go through this uh, study and the rest of the epistles, may God bless us and help us to be a blessing to others. Let's close in prayer. Dear God and Father, we just thank you for this uh, chance to study your word today. Thank you for the Thessalonian Church and the example they are to us even today. Help us to be uh, involved in our work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. That we continue to faithfully do the things that you've given us to do in our circle of contacts and reaching out to others and serving you, seeking to honor and glorify your name. And help us to be waiting expectantly for the return of the Lord Jesus even as this time draws near thank you for every blessing we have in the Lord Jesus Christ we pray for your blessing on us as we continue on he ask this in Jesus precious name amen